0: Hello and welcome to the Sheffield Digital Podcast with me, Sarah Lister. In this episode, we ask Dan Kirby, co-founder and CEO of the tech department about his route into tech and his personal experience as an entrepreneur. Before you listen, please note there is strong language throughout this interview. What's the story behind your route into tech? Well,
1: um, like most things in my life, it's been a series of accidents and serendipitous moments and um, so my my uh, my career in tech started at art school where i was doing fine art painting and not doing anything technological whatsoever and then i dropped out of art school and did a, a history degree obviously and i somehow graduated with a decent degree and then Went traveling for a bit. I spent eight months on my own in South America in 1996, which is, for those that pay close attention, the same year that Narcos series two on Netflix is set. And I was in Colombia for a month in 1996 during that time, and I kind of, I kind of test. It was sketchy as hell, um, but I, I did survive uh, just about. And um, anyway, so I, I, I came back and I was bumming about trying to look for some work. And I, I got a, I offered to work. I could write. My only kind of skill is I'm a bit of a gobshite and I can write. And I thought, well, I'd, I'd off, offer my services for free to PR companies to try and get some work experience because I thought PR sounds about right. And then I got a job. Um, so I literally sent out a press release saying Dan Kirby will work for free to about 10 different um, PR companies in Sheffield. And one of which was actually in Buxton, which it turned out this guy set up a, set up a new business in Sheffield. And he he always liked a deal, did, did this chap Jeremy, and so getting someone to work for free was very attractive to him. So I, that's why I got my first job in sort of marketing. And then about six months after getting that job, the um, one of their big clients was a company called Dairy Crest, which is like a big um, like they make yogurt and cheese and that kind of milk. And they wanted to make websites, and this was 1997, 98. And because I was the youngest in the company, everyone looked at me and said, "You're young." you must know all about this newfangled technology stuff. And I just nodded and agreed and winged it and learned how to make websites. And that's how I got into tech.
0: How did you learn how to make websites then?
1: They said, build a website. So I just like invented some, you know, this is what the... So you're near the, there's a milkshake called Fridge, which you might have seen the packaging. It's like a kind of cow-shaped packaging. And that was their first website that Dairy crested did. And that was my first website. I mean, now I can't believe we got away with it, but like it was just inventing stuff off the... Like, I, I thought was funny and basically constructing a website around it. And I think I was the milkshake detective in a photo on this website that was looking for the world's best milkshake or some shit I, I listen it was like totally incoherent <laughs> but back in 1997 you could get away with any old shit
0: and how how did that lead to becoming an entrepreneur a few years later or is that where exactly where it began no I mean
1: I mean I suppose I was kind of um it was a startup that I joined so I've only ever worked in startups or my own companies so I'm a bit of a kind of I don't know any other environment than that. Um, And I've sort of been, it was actually very good training for me because they um, were very entrepreneurial organization. And I kind of got thrown in the deep end a lot, one of which was tech and websites. And then I I was the first employee at an e-business consultancy slash company they set up in 1999, 2000, which was in London. And so I kind of got thrown in the deep end there and it was the dot-com time and I was just like at the time it was a bit of a brave new world and I was just learning on the job but kind of you know people say this about you know, throwing yourself in the deep end and failing fast and all that kind of stuff and that's basically what I was doing on, the, on their ticket and about um, 2001-ish I had this idea uh, we were a bit disgruntled with our employer and a, uh, a guy I work with had this idea and we actually set up my first company was a, a branding company brand design business and um, which we founded in two, june 2001 called dkpm it was me i was Dan kirby he was paul martin it was two of us set it up and that was in sheffield and um our first uh, client was a website and the first person who developed the website was rick who's my co-founder at the tech department so so really this sort of june 2001 was a sort of very uh, formative month. Yes, yeah, so we, we set up this branding company, and that was my first business. Two thousand and one, I sold that company to Paul, the founding partner in two thousand and eight nine, uh, so I could go full time into the tech department. But yeah, it was it was kind of like a very it was an interesting time. Early two thousands, I was twenty seven years old. No grand vision, no grand plan, no business plan, no no startup guide, no lean startup, none of that. It was basically setting up a small business and. Uh, let's give it a go because we think we can probably do it a bit better.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, it does sound like you sort of made it your own rather than following other... Because there wasn't any guidance back then, really. It wasn't a how-to startup guide. And it was like
1: literally now, doing a startup is a career path. Back in 2001, it was sort of... Literally, it was called setting up a small business. Startups were maybe a thing in Silicon Valley. I don't know. But it was called setting up a small business. It was very, very unglamorous. and There was no you know trendy startup meets and you know what have you yeah we just went to the bank and got sort of got a loan and paid it back and then we actually we actually got very successful very quickly because we were quite good at being we were called the well <laughs> labeled the ant and deck of design and there were these two cheeky northern chappies that used to rock up to uh, particularly video games was, was our specialism in um in london and we'd go to sony playstation and pick up a lot of work because we were just cheeky chappies with spiky hair from the north so we did we built a big reputation in video games and so we used to do all of activision's uh on and offline marketing for all their big licenses so people like marvel and um you know dreamworks get like the spider-man the game of the film we would do all the marketing in store and online uh, across europe uh, and we did a lot of projects for BAFTA and then we helped BAFTA set up the video games awards and I've been a member of BAFTA since 2003 or four I think and then used to work with them on the film awards and the tv awards and so we built a kind of niche in video games we're probably one of a handful in the UK we're like the video games entertainment industry people and then actually the last project I did before I left was we worked with Hasbro on the game board design of Cluedo the, uh, the game, the board game. And so the, the if you buy a... I think it's changed a little bit now, but if you buy a, a Cluedo anywhere in the world, it's it was um, a, a 3D modeling uh, illustration company called Finger Industries did the 3D uh, modeling and we did the art direction of it. And we turned it from a kind of old castle where people were being killed into a modern kind of Miami sort of beachfront house thing. And that was like the last thing I did before I left at DKPM. And it was actually pretty really, like, iconic. And I thought, yeah, it's actually... Literally this is a global piece of like interactive design that I've led that's literally gone out all over the world for sort of an iconic gaming brand. And I thought that was kind of cool. So yeah, we did a lot of really interesting work and it was but it was all basically winging it all the time.
0: And looking back at your entrepreneurial life as it might be described, what would you say for you are some of the best moments and some of the worst moments?
1: So tech department's been 19 years old this year. And I'd say that's been a high, like a real kind of achievement where I felt actually, yeah, we're now in our 20th year. I'll tell you what that was really um, a great gift in an entrepreneurial career is, as with my podcast, is having an idea and having the freedom to pursue it. That is itself a form of success. And I sometimes forget that because once you've like got used to the water that you're swimming in, you forget that actually most people in the world don't have that gift. I have to sort of, you know, get it signed off or get someone else's put in, and and I don't. So, so frankly, the fact I can just do a podcast because I feel like it and it sort of turns out it works and no one's like, you know, obviously we have a process we go through before we start spending money and doing stuff, but, like, ultimately it's something that I and my business partner kind of and my team can get behind. And that's just a, a day-to-day thing that I think is easy to forget. And then tech department, really, I feel really proud of the fact that we, through the pandemic – what was a very challenging time, we didn't have anybody on furlough. We actually, we've just been recruiting people, uh, we've invested and changing in in what we do and how we do it to a point where it's much more kind of, I would say, aligned with uh, where I want to be in the world. And so it's a much more kind of grounded company, I would say. And I feel very good about that. So that is like, is that a high? I don't know. But we've had some kind of like, more traditional pieces of status. So, for example, we're, we've enlisted a lot in various, like, you know, Beamer top 100 things. And I was named as a one of the top 25 most innovative people in Europe, Middle East, and Asia uh, in 2018, I think it was, by a global marketing uh, magazine. It's a real cliche, this, but once you get all that stuff, you realize I, it doesn't really matter. It's, <laughs> actually, it's like feels good for about a week, and then it's just like everyone was bored of you going on about it, and then it's just a bit <laughs> embarrassing. <laughs> and um, but that was good. And then we had a whole series of, of little, um, I would say, a couple of things we did which marketing-wise, which we're quite, we're, I'm proud of. One was a, an event series called the Tech Off, uh, which was described as TED Talks meets WWE wrestling. And that was a um, an event series we hosted in London when we were doing lots of kind of creative technology innovation projects with, with some big companies uh, like NBC Universal and uh, Microsoft Advertising. We were kind of being treated as like an as a, like an innovation lab by those guys. So doing a mad wrestling-themed event in East London made sense at the time with that customer base. And um, anyway, it turned into a completely got got ahead of itself. What was initially a wrestling-themed event in, in kind of inverted commas, fast forward a year, we had uh, 600 people in a nightclub paying 500, 500 of whom had paid for a ticket with actual wrestlers on stage who would throw off the speakers if they went over their five-minute allocation and nightclub volume Rocky and uh, Rocky Music and Confetti cannons and, and so the whole thing got really out of hand. And I, I kind of MC'd it as this kind of evil twin character I called MC Danimal, or he was known as the Beyonce of tech. And really what I realized I, I was doing was I created a character and then was doing improv comedy. And I didn't intend to do that, but that is basically what happened. And when I leant into that, I realized I could do that. And I had this sort of interesting knack which I didn't know I had of actually making a room of 500 people laugh spontaneously which I didn't know I could do and then that became a, a movie pilot of which I am quotes the lead character so that, I'm quite proud of that, that happened because he was absolutely mad and there, so there is in existence a movie tra- trailer on my, my if you go to Michael Timney's website google it we co-founded a, a, a mental health festival in London in 2018 that was um, my idea but we helped work with some people to produce it and that was really good so we had live we've helped a few thousand people uh, on mental health and burnout kind of thing.
0: I just want to go back to something you said about having an idea and then the, having the freedom to make it happen. What's the driver behind it? What is it that makes you go from, well, firstly having the actual ideas and then, saying right let's do it do you think it takes a certain type of personality does it take a big personality and confidence and bravery to do that or do you think that anyone can sort of tap tap into it
1: i think anyone can tap into it it's it's not about being a big personality that's a, i think an excuse if i'm honest i can see that being a form of self-sabotage for someone who's perhaps an introvert and thinks oh, i couldn't do that again let me make it really clear i'm i didn't set out to make a movie this is just a sequence of events that unfurled that we just pursued because it was interesting. You know, this wasn't the intention. Literally on the first night of the tech off, by the way, just to give you an example of like really where it was at. We'd come up with this idea. It was my idea. We were basically our PR company was saying you should do an event. I created this concept. And then on the night, somebody went, who's going to introduce the speakers? Because we need someone to do that, like an MC. And I was like looking around okay. going, well, ugh, fucking hell, like, I suppose I should do it because I organized it. But I didn't, it wasn't like I was, like, hankering for the stage. I had this propensity about I'm just dropping myself in it because I am comp- <laughs> I have this idea and then just sort of I need to consummate the idea kind of thing. It's like, fuck, it wouldn't be funny. And that, that was really a sense of humor. It's like, I wonder, literally, I was thinking through the tech off, like every time we did an event, I wonder what I can get away with without, like, actually annihilating my career. And it turns out there is no line. But, but just to give you an example, we were invited. Retail Week magazine, pan-European innovation conference in a big – conference space in London. The main stage, sponsored by Google, they had me on it dressed as a wrestler with two wrestlers shouting at the crowd. And this is two or three years into doing it. And it was like a totally I couldn't do it was basically like you cannot destroy your career. Basically the more of an ass I became, the more awards I won and the more big stages we were put on. And it was just a total like inversion of reality. And I suppose my curiosity about where it could go trumped any fear or, or, or shame. Right. And, and that's kind of what happens. So, so actually talking of the subject, I have a podcast, as, as we've mentioned, and I had a guest on my podcast um, called Jeff Thompson. And Jeff Thompson is a talking about BAFTA, a BAFTA winning screenwriter. Uh, he's authored 50 books or more than 50 books, many of which have been on the Sunday Times bestseller list. His, his story has been turned into uh, movies. Uh, Orlando Bloom played him in an in a adaptation of his story. But his background is as a nightclub bouncer, a very violent man. And now he's not a violent man. He's a very spiritual man. And he says, uh, the big battle isn't outside you. It's inside you. The inner fight. He's a very, very interesting character. He was on my podcast and he gave me some like words, words of wisdom. Here's the wisdom. Fear can be conquered by curiosity. So if you're listening to this and you're thinking, oh, fucking, I'll listen to this guy. He's so full of it and he's got a movie and he's got a company, blah, 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 right? That's not untrue, right? But your fear, you may feel of putting yourself out there, your fear of of embarrassment or shame or judgment or failure or losing all your money or losing some of your money or whatever, right? All of that stuff um, is conquered by curiosity, so if you get actually curious about, hey, listen, I'm shitting myself about the fact that I haven't got any sales in the next three months. Why is that? You know, like, Or, or I'm fearful that someone will judge me as being foolish. By the way, that is something I have. I mean, you, you you, listen to me. You think, God, this guy's got dressed up as a wrestler and ran around making a fool of himself across the world. Why would he be worried about being seen as foolish? This is, again, is a meme I have coming back to. Uh, the self-work I have done on myself which is quite in-depth. It's like, yeah, I've just got this real fear of looking foolish. But at the same time, I do all this stuff. So so I don't know. I'm not saying I'm logical. I'm saying not saying you're logical. But human beings are not rational algorithms. We're irrational creative beings. All right. So coming back to the curiosity thing, what happened for me in the tech op was my curiosity was more... Uh, I'm a curious monkey. I just want to explore. I want to say, okay, where's the edge of the territory? Where can I go with this? What can I, this, I know I feel nervous and shamed about this. And maybe I'll be stupid, and, but fuck it. I want to see what happens. And <laughs> I think that ethic is something that you can nurture in yourself. You know, these are inner skills to go back to Jeff Thompson, the inner fight, the voice, the critical voice or the doubtful voice or the judgmental voice in you. Uh, you can just tell it to fuck off or you can ignore it. You don't have to engage it. You, know, you just go, all right, hey, look, I observed that. I wonder why that is. Maybe it's my dad used to, because he used to criticize me. This is often what people have issues with. You know, I don't know about your dad or anybody else is listening. But I'll tell you now, if you go into your childhood, it's that's where you're all fucked up from. And if you honestly go back and and, know and curiously inquire why you might be feeling these feelings and not acting on them or judging them or feeling stupid for having them, but accepting them to have genuine curiosity about where they're coming from. And maybe you can unravel some shit that's like acting as a form of of self-sabotage or restraint or a limiting belief of some description. And so, you know, uh, the the answer to fear is curiosity. I sometimes say that humans are just monkeys that can tell each other stories, you know, and you...
0: (laughs) I like that. tell
1: a story that's a future story that could happen, it's true. But then, you know... Vladimir Putin invades Ukraine the next day, and then your future changes. Or I don't know. I mean, here's a, here, let me just, without being too on the nose, right? Three events have happened in the last week that's made me clarify my thinking on this. So, okay, somebody I know very close to me has had a cancer diagnosis. Somebody I know has been not they're not been deported, but they can't get a, a visa, so they're going to have to leave the UK after seven years living here. Somebody I know, uh, or a group of people I know, were, uh, were at an event. Their children, sorry, were at an event on Saturday night, and a drunk driver plowed into ten people, of which they're all in critical uh, care. That's Saturday night. Okay, listen. I shit can happen. Your best laid plans, God will laugh at them, as the the, 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 the saying goes. God, la- God laughs at your plans. Yeah, you know, get You get. You know, you got this plan. I'm worried about this. I've got cancer tomorrow. Oh fuck, to worry about that then. Yeah. Or your kid gets run over by a knobhead who's drunk. Or you have to leave the country because some bullshit bureaucratic thing means you can't stay. All right, and again, these are real problems, not I'm worried about looking foolish on LinkedIn problems. That's all bullshit and a fantasy. It's your ego trying to protect you and it's doing you a disservice because nobody gives a a shit about your professional persona. I'm talking to you directly now, the listener. Nobody cares. I know you care. No one else cares. Nobody cares. all <laughs> bullshit. It's all a fantasy in your mind. Yeah, I'm talking directly to you now because I know I know you just don't want to look like an idiot and you're worried about your promotion and shit and what your clients might think. Nobody cares. Right? You could get hit by a bus tomorrow. Like your kid might get hit by a dunk diver. Just fucking do it. Yeah? And this is what by the way, this I'm I'm this is very real for me because I'm I'm like reflecting on some choices and some things and I'm like living a entrepreneurial life and I'm, I don't have it all sorted and um, I'm an ongoing project as I will continue to be for the next 19 years or 20 years or however long I'm working but I, my, my friend and mentor Dan Sullivan is now 79 he's the, known as the world's number one entrepreneur he's been on my podcast twice I count him as now a friend and he's given me some very very clear advice in recently and he's 79 I'm 50 this year. I've got 29 years to go before I'm at his point and he has a 25 year plan, all right? I have abundant amounts of time. And if I get over myself and just try to let of shit out and don't worry about this little voice in my head trying to protect me off some bullshit fantasy future. Listen, here's the paradox. If you're very creative, you can invent all sorts of fucking great future stories that will never happen. So, so you could be genuinely, creatively channeling energy from God knows where to create amazing businesses, podcasts, books, courses, whatever, music. But instead, you're wrapped up in this fucking egoic protection. Oh, don't do that. You'll look stupid. Oh, fucking hell! You've never done it before. You can't do it. And then you're like held back from actually realizing your true potential. Right. And again, Jeff Thompson talks about this on my podcast with him. Like you can turn fear, transmute fear into potential and and that potential is unlimited. You know, it's only, you're only being held back by the story in your own mind. I can't do that. I'm a woman. I mean, I can't do that. I'm a guy in Bakewell. I can't, you know, there's no blah, blah, blah. It's like Everyone's got a fucking bullshit story or you can just ignore it and just crack on. And yeah, you (laughs) might look good at you occasionally, but who cares about it anyway? Because going back to the point, Nobody cares about you. <laughs> what you kids do granted, and so occasionally my wife cares about me, that's true. But my mum likes me. But the point is, listen, don't worry about it, don't sweat it. No one's ever thinking about it that hard. So if you if you take that approach to it, you can dance on the pinhead. Because you know what? You fall off, nobody cares. Nobody's really watching, they're going, fuck it, I did that last week, yeah, whatever. Nobody's like a big shrug and move on. You know, the universe will progress and your fear. Of what may or may not happen as a result of you doing X project is kind of, I don't know, like, you're only going to know if you do it, if you try it. And if you don't do it, and literally, by the way, this is why I started my first company. My my wife, my wife said, Well, look, what's the worst that can happen? You're just going to get a job if it fails. I know, yeah, fair enough. (laughs) And then I hung around 23 years later.
0: Can you segue into talking a bit about the actual theme of your podcast, but going back to your experience of what you refer to as blowing up? Your business?
1: Yeah, so 2017, I was in Austin, Texas, dressed as Beyonce of Tech and um, doing a movie. And I'd been winning all these awards, and tech department had been winning all these awards, and we just won a big contract. And I thought I was hard shit. In March, I was in Toronto with my um, coach, Dan Sullivan, at a workshop with a bunch of other very top end entrepreneurs, many of whom had flown in on their private jets. I hadn't, but they had, and I was feeling like a fucking smarty pants. And then we got back from Toronto and we'd lost some money that month. But don't worry, Dan, because it's a cyclical thing, which is this amazing quarter, it's just following up from our amazing quarter. And then the following month, we had another bad month, and then it was worse, we're losing more money. And then it he goes, don't worry, Dan, it's still cyclical, this thing's definitely gonna happen, all this stuff definitely gonna, look at the pipeline of work. The next month, losing even more money, at which point our finance director, said, uh, Dan, I don't think this is a seasonal blip, mate. This is like a proper problem. And we'd staffed up to meet this contract we'd won and our overheads were quite a lot. Our income was significantly less than that. And anyway, so we had to make a load of redundancy. So um, uh, from went from 25 people to 15 people in that was June 2017. And then over the course of that summer, the uh, forecast I was given, the worst case scenario, by the time we got to September, it was half... The income was half the worst-case forecast, so we'd reduce the overhead of the company—a very painful, difficult, expensive process—to get it to the worst-case scenario. And the worst-case scenario was fifty percent lower than forecast. So it was a proper effing problem, and 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 that was like the, just the start of it. There was like everything that could have gone wrong, kind of went wrong, almost starting on our thirteenth birthday. It was just fucking every day was some major bullshit that was just some admin error somewhere that had gone wrong that, that created a stink. And so this all happened all at the same time. And, and then my, my business partner's wife was very poorly at the time with a with mental illness. And um, that came to a head in uh, sort of September, October, where she attempted to take her life. And so, you know, it was dark and difficult and very expensive. And there was a very clear moment where um, it was like, guys, you got to put in like 120 grand between you next week because otherwise, you know, there's no business. And uh, the, the sales forecast is like going south. And it's like, well, do you... A, not put the money in and lose 13 years of the work, or do you, B, put the money in, have a chance of not losing the business, but uh, next week you might lose it anyway, or next month. And so that was kind of very real, and that all happened at the same time that that, that Rick's wife was poorly. And so it was just like, what? And so that was why I call now the blow-up, all right? So it all went wrong, and all the chickens came home to roost. And the the, the short story, you might be asking, why, Dan? Why did that happen? It was uh, very simple. It was bad management. And it was bad management on my part because whilst we had a management team in place, I'd hired them. I'd given them the sort of rope to hang myself with. I needed to accept responsibility. And that was a very conscious decision, by the way, at the time. I I just read uh, Jocko Willink's book, Extreme Ownership. And I thought I needed to take extreme ownership of this situation. And so I did. And I said, well, it's my responsibility. I have to stand behind it and make this, put this right. And so that's, again, cut a long story short, that's what we did. So we turned the, saved the business, turned it around. Uh, it was, ironically, it was going really great. And then pandemic hit and like threw it all out the window again. And I was like sat whining to myself about how the unjustness of life kind of thing. But actually, it did us a favor because it we'd, um, we kind of found a, a purpose, a future purpose that's much more aligned to where we really wanted to be as a as people actually not the company and so the sort of it's just like so anyway that's the blow up and so i've got a bi- i've got a podcast now called honey i blew up the business because i did actually blow the business up that's not a bullshit uh, just a, not just a clever title it actually did happen and the irony or the the paradox of this is the the blow up which was quotes bad by any metric was also quotes good because I needed to learn and to change, as a result of which, um, the blow-up. I'm a much happier human being with a better, um, my health and fitness is better than ever. My entire, I'm 50 this year and I'm fitter than ever. Um, I've got a great relationship with my wife and my children. My Teenage daughters want to hang out with me. And I live in a nice house in Bakewell, and my business is great and I get to do fun shit. That wasn't a guaranteed outcome from the situation i was in let's put it that way
0: what would you say is key was key to the process of rebuilding the business and yourself um
1: well yeah here's the thing people go i've had a few people go oh, yeah well, what was the strategy that failed and what was the business was it about lead generation or something and yeah maybe but but the the kind of really the main thing was telling the truth telling the truth to myself Actually, like your ego, I talked about your ego, and by ego, I don't mean I'm a big head and I'm showing off. I mean your sense of identity, the story you're telling yourself. That's your ego. So if you're saying, "Well, I I don't have an ego because I'm very humble, I'm very, you know, I care about the environment, I'm really, I'm really very meaningful person," that's your ego yeah it's a sense of identity because if you lost that you'd feel a sense of loss but it's basically a concoction of your mind you know it doesn't really exist you you might feel emotions around it but whatever the point being is that's what i mean it's like telling the truth to myself about really and there were straws in the wind of things that were going wrong and i just didn't listen to them i just sort of ignored it and didn't want to do it and i had to confront that why did i do that what was holding me back why had i checked out why didn't i really sort of uh, what were the personal reasons for that not a, I'm a CEO and I didn't go to the CEO course that week. It's like, what is what is the personal deep reasons that patterns that unfurled themselves? Some in very positive, creative ways, as I've described. Some in ways that ended up kind of negative. And I've had issues with burnout and depression over the years. And I think that was a function. So the, the blow-up was really an expression of bad patterns of behavior. My mental health was just an expression of bad patterns of behavior. or sorry, unproductive and, and sorry, I'm not even going to say productive, unhelpful patterns of behavior for me as a rounded human being. All right. And what I mean by that is, okay, I'm very driven and I've been successful, quotes on quotes. Why am I driven? To whom am I trying to prove this point? Why, what external validation do I feel I require to be worthwhile of respect and love all right. And these are questions that perhaps uh, I wasn't aware of or so questions I need to answer and probably aren't things that you put on a list of things that you should do as a founder of a startup or a business or to, to help your sales or what have you. But that is the answer to the problem. But I mean, in my direct experience, um, the line between you working on yourself and your business getting better is very, 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 very direct in that it's a one to one overlay of Venn diagram. There is no distinction between the two. Yeah, people say they should work on your business, not in your business. Uh, I think you should work on yourself, not be in yourself. By in yourself, I mean thinking you're a smart arse, thinking you're really clever, thinking that you've got it sussed, listening to your negative talk, and um, being too preoccupied with your rational mind and all its analytical thoughts about future stuff that may never happen. That's what I mean by being in yourself. If you're working on yourself... You're aware of that, but you're not embroiled in it. You know, you're just sort of observing that you're fearful. You're not getting swept away with the emotion. That's what I mean. And if you get better at that, the flow state of running a company becomes just much, much, much straightforward.
0: Can you share your top tip to guide people to not blow up their business?
1: Right. Well, I ask often in my interviews, what advice should entrepreneurs ignore? And this will, I think, answer that question. 80% of people who have asked that question to have said they should. you should ignore other people's advice. I am not you. You are not me. I've got my shit. You've got your shit. You've got your company. I've got, I don't know what's going on with your company. There's a billion ways you can blow up your company. Uh, so ignore other people's advice, right? Uh, uh, now, you need to take advice. You can listen to it and it's not you don't, but they don't know your, your particular circumstance at this particular point in time is not the same as it was a year ago. you just got to take it with a pinch of salt, but you know, listen with an open heart. But the, the corollary of that, is to connect with your intuition and, and to actually listen to your inner voice, your quiet voice, your gut. And this can sometimes feel irrational to technological people who are very in their mind, in their head. If we have an algorithm and have the data and crunch the data, we can have the answer. And the answer will be quantifiable and proven. Therefore, that's the strategy. Sometimes you can't, life's, life, well, basically life isn't like that. There's lots of very, very, very counterintuitive truths. Or survivorship bias. Companies that have been very successful, but really because they survived. And at the time, you can post-rationalize any old shit basically once it's been successful. And and now here's the thing: How do you listen to your intuition? My intuition was being drowned by alcohol, caffeine, ego, adrenaline, compulsive work habits, fame, money. So I wasn't listening to it. I was disconnected. And this is very true. If you read Gabor Mate's new book, uh, it's called The Myth of Normal. It's about people, uh, lowercase T trauma, big case T trauma. But you're disconnected from yourself. You don't listen to your inner voice. You're disconnected from your body. Um, and your body isn't some dumb vehicle for your CEO mind. It's, it's it, There are clusters of brain cells throughout your body. The vagus nerve connects your brain to your viscera, your liver, guts, uh, everything. This is an actual thing, biologically true. And there are brain cells and nerve endings. And your um, experiences in life are formed in your Body. So when you are quote shitting yourself, well why is that? It's because your body has formed nervousness around a particular issue, be it a dog or a presentation or whatever, and then sends a signal to your brain that you're worried. It's just the way it is. But you but what we like to do is think, well, my mind stops at my chin, and anything else I'm feeling in my body is just bullshit because I can't put it into a spreadsheet. And then you ignore it and then you end up like me blowing your company up. So so again, the way out is in to quote my my guru, sadguru I, I went to this yogi mystic in London a couple of weeks ago called Sadhguru. I'd recommend his book, Inner Engineering. He says, the way out is in. If you go in and connect with your body, connect with your self, connect with your kind of something that isn't just your kind of chattering, analytical mind, that's your intuition. That's what that is. So the better you get at that, which you can achieve through meditation or through breath work or through just shutting the fuck up for a bit and going for a run or whatever, like switching your damn brain off, then actually you listen to yourself. And if you're connected, you're aligned, you feel whole between your gut, your heart and your head. And that you're, on, you're on the right path. Oftentimes, yeah, rationally, you can justify it, but, you, but your heart's going, fucking hell, man, this guy's an asshole. I don't want to work with him. But you go, yeah, yeah, but it's a couple of grand. We really could do with the sales. And your heart's going, fucking hell, that guy just doesn't matter. And that's misalignment.
0: Thank you so much, Dan.
1: My pleasure. Um, oh yeah, listen to my podcast, <laughs> Honey I blew Up the Business, <laughs> available on all podcasting platforms and HoneyIbloatTheBusiness dot com. Uh, my company is called The Tech Department, and we um, we're specialists in working with early stage startups, particularly impact startups, building their technology products. So if you're an early stage founder and you've built an MVP and it's sort of holding you back because it's creaking, the no code stuff, we help you turn it into a V one bespoke product that's going to scale. So we, we, our mission is to help impact founders do good at scale.
0: Great. Thank you.